Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. One of the greatest goals the Euros has ever seen has happened overnight and group E looks a little bit differently to how we expected. So much to talk about in today's Gagapod, including looking ahead to a mouth-watering set of Group F fixtures tomorrow coming up. Let's get straight into it. Now it's Schick from range. Oh, it is a thrilling goal. It is one of the great Euro goals. It's Patrick Schick. Unbelievable. Yeah, hi, everyone. Lots to talk about again from the Euros overnight. Joined today again by our digital journalist, Jake Rosengarten. Jake, good to see you. Thomas Sorensen, thanks for hanging around again after another long night on the Optusport couch with lots of football to dissect. How are you holding up first and foremost? No, I'm good. Um, you know, it's, you know, this is what we're here for. We love, we love the game and uh, great matches all, all night through. And uh, yeah, you know, as you said, lots to talk about. Yeah. And Jake, you've just come off fresher, a deadline of a couple of, how many words today? A thousand words, 1500 words on Spain's nil all draw with Sweden. Uh, your immediate takeaway after filing those frantically. Well, <laughs> I tell you what, bit of a ridiculous game, that one. I mean, how many passes can you make without scoring a goal? I think Spain is trying to set the record. It was nearly a 1,000, I think, by the end. Um, but yeah, the biggest takeaway is uh, Alvaro Morata. How many chances can you miss but still get into the starting eleven? Yeah, well, that's, let's start there, Thomas, because, I mean, effectively, we, we spoke about on the post-game show, Spain's tempo was pretty good. Their passing was pretty good. Koke, Pedri, the youngest player ever for Spain in this tournament. Uh, Rodri in midfield. But n- even chances were created. Didn't put it away. It's been... One goal in seven hours for Spain, for Alvaro Morata. He'll be a lucky man if he's in the team next time. You would expect Jeremy uh, Moreno to, to come in. Um, and you can just see him, you know, it's a player without confidence. You know, he had those few chances. And then after he missed, you know, there was a few close-ups from the cameras. And you can just see in his eyes the, the confidence, the doubt, uh, because Luis Enrique would look at everything else. You know, defensively, I thought, bar a couple of moments, they were strong, the press was good, the passing, they created the chances, but it was just not finishing them off. And, and Morasa had the best chance where he was played through. Um, Olsen does reasonably well. He, he spreads himself and, and, and he's there as soon as he turns. But typically of a player with low confidence, he, he, he probably thinks, overthinks it, and he... You know, he hits it wide and, and probably through the legs would have been a confident player's choice. The scale of dominance, Jake, there were some statistics in your piece that speak to that. Can you explain to the listeners today who might not have seen the game just how dominant Spain were compared to Sweden? Well, I think that where you really start is the fact that Spain had 85% of the ball in this game, which is just unheard of. And I mean, Well, the highest in the Premier League this season was 83%. I can't remember the fixture, but that was the highest in the Premier League this season. Well, there you have it. If you can outdo Pep Guardiola on the pass front, then you're doing pretty well. Um, but yeah, Spain 
just dominated the ball. They moved it around quickly. Um, the midfield dominated. They got um, Marcus Llorente up very high down the mm. right flank. Um, and the chances did come, but they didn't take them. But, yeah, statistically, it was just fairly mind-blowing. I mean, at halftime, every single Spain player had made more passes than every single Swedish player. And at that point, three players in Spain's team had outpassed the entire Swedish team, which is unheard of. Well, they said a player born in France had more touches than anyone born in Spain or Sweden in this game today. And that was America Laporte at, at one point. Yeah, with that in mind, Thomas, I mean, what can Luis Enrique change? What should they have done differently? Is it a matter of, you know what, this is a side with a, pretty much the worst preparation you could potentially have for a major tournament in terms of COVID chaos? Um, makes them a little bit underdone. They get the point and try build in. How, how do you think the Spanish press, how do you think Luis Enrique will be reacting to, to what happened today? I think within the camp, it'll be glass half full, um, you know, because they did so many things well, you know, and you said it as well, all the, the, the distractions in the build-up with the COVID uh, issues and they had to train separately, uh, bring in new players um, and obviously Busquets, the, the captain, couldn't uh, participate in this game. So they did well, but the press will focus on uh, Morata. So that will be a negative story that they'll be hit with for the next three or four days until they play Poland. But they're well in this. You know, you, you saw how they'll dominate even Poland, even uh, against Slovakia, you know, and they I still have them as as, uh, as winners of, of this group. They have enough. And, and with Moreno in there, a player with confidence, I think they would have won today and they'll win the games going forward. Do you think any of the changes he made, which kind of, as, as the team tired, they sort of raised the intensity again when he made those changes. Do you think he'll consider any of those going into um, the next game? As well, considering, uh, d- a double question, when you've got a teammate or an opponent who, who just looks devoid of confidence with Murata, we, as, unfortunately, as media, pry on that and that becomes the storyline. But can you can you really feel that Uh when you're on the park with with a player who's in that kind of uh, mood, yeah, you know you you know as well. You know he, he struggled uh, f- for a while with the national team. He scored 11 goals for for Juventus, but he hasn't had a an amazing season. And um, you know he, I think that the thinking behind is can we get him going? You know he's a good player, but and that was Luis Rodriguez probably hoped that yeah. he would score a goal and off he goes. Now he's off with a you know. A, you know, a little bit of a difficult um, decision um, because he's obviously been playing for him for a long time. He has a lot of thro- trust in him. But I think, you know, there's only one way you can go now and you've you got to give Moreno a shot from start and, and uh, you know, hopefully, because you need that goal scorer. Like today, you can play and you can play and you can play, but you need to finish it off. It's an interesting point, though, because when you talk about Alvaro Morata, and it's not like it's the first time we're talking about Alvaro Morata missing chances. Mm. Like, when he was at Chelsea... Big chances. Big, big chances. I mean, why... Have you seen anything from Alvaro Morata that makes you think that Luis Enrique should be sticking by him, or even Massimiliano Allegri when he rocks up at Juventus again for the next season? No, it it is worrying, um, because you need... You you know, I play with a lot of strikers, and confidence is huge. Like, that's... The one thing, you know, if you've got a, a striker that's high on it, you know, they, they'll score and they'll believe they can score from any any position, any angle. And and it's the, it's the thought process. You can just see whenever he gets there, there, there there's just too much going on in his head. He's not, he's not playing instantly. You know, there was a sh- chance in the second half where it's played in. He gets to the edge of the box and he's, he needs to hit the target. He needs to, to make Robin Olsen at least make a save. And he sort of scoffs it. It, it, it sort of 
drifts a, a yard wide of the post and and any top striker has to hit the target. Does that help you as a keeper? You know, sometimes when you, the, the fine margins, you're coming out to narrow the angle or, or something like that. And he, it, with a player in Morata's form, you come out and go, if I put even half an ounce of pressure on him here, it might it just influence your decision making to come out a bit harder or not. Because, you know, if I put a bit of pressure on him, he's going to, you know, what himself. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I think, you know, if you know that, uh, I know in, in that this situation, things happen so quickly. And I think Robin Olsen just instantly just you know, charges him down and, and, and narrows the angle. But you can use it because all you want to do is put, you know, stay in the incentive uh, and, and leave all the doubt with the striker. You don't want to, you know, go early and, and give him the easy option. You want to, you know, for him to think, you know, overthink things. And, and uh, Morata does that at the moment. You can just see that. All talk about Spain. Go talk about Sweden because even though it was a, the closest to anti-football that you will get in the sense that uh, they didn't put together too many passes. They didn't, had a, you know, they didn't have a lot of a, attacking intent. Truth is they've got the point that they wanted. Uh, it's no surprise how they play, Jake, but I guess it shows that you can, uh, you can win and or succeed in football in very, very many different ways. And it sets them up now to be right in, in this group, not only in the top two, but they're now in a fighting chance for that, that third place that so many of these kind of nations will be hoping for going through. For sure. But, I mean, interestingly as well, I mean, I wouldn't have thought that Sweden will play exactly that way against the likes of Poland and Slovakia. I wouldn't have thought. I mean, obviously we knew sort of how they were going to set up for a game against a Spain team who were always going to dominate the ball and always going to do what they did. Um, They obviously executed game plan quite well. Um, But they will feel like they've got a bit of potency in in the likes of Alexander Ishak up top, who who played really, really well this morning as a striker in a team where he was isolated. And as you said, they had about 15% of the ball. Yeah, well, Ishak, I mean, he had as good chances as anybody. Did you, there's been a lot of hype about him. Um, Obviously, teenage protege coming through, had a really good season uh, coming into this. Lots of transfer eyes on him. Um, Obviously, he didn't score, but he showed that he could possibly live up to the hype in the tournament. Yeah, he's one of these modern you know, strikers, young strikers, you know, with, um, you know, obviously pace and skill, but but physicality as well. He's got a bit of size about him. You wouldn't say he's, he's in the same mold as, as Haaland. He's probably lacking a bit of strength, you know, and uh, the word is that he's working on that, bulking up a bit. Um, but but he's, he's, he's got all the ability and uh, confidence as well. And, and in a game, which is so difficult because he had to defend for, you know, 99% of the time to still pop up twice and show his quality and, and almost get a goal himself and set up one for, for Marcus Berg as well. Could you see him landing somewhere in the Premier League potentially next season? I think he, he'll be well off just to maybe take a year or two, um, you know, just to get that little bit stronger. Um, you, you could still see he's, he's a bit lanky, but, um, you know, definitely, you know, he's only 21 and, um, you know, if he does go to the Premier League, I, I'm sure he'll be a success because he'll be among better players, you know, and, and he hasn't got to do everything himself. And and today it was a little bit on him to do something, otherwise nothing was happening. What's the what's the rivalry like? Denmark, Sweden, Finland? Talk us through that. Oh, Denmark, Sweden. That's the big one. Um, That's why I asked. I was asking it gently. <laughs> <laughs> we hate them. Uh, nah. Yeah, you know, I've got a lot of Swedish friends, but when we played them, uh, that's, that's the, uh, it gets quite intense. I don't know if you remember... We had a game in Copenhagen, um, and um, we we were three nil down, um, and uh, came back three yeah. three. And a fan, they got a penalty last minute, and a fan ran onto the pitch yes. and actually tried to, I think he tried to hit the referee, uh, missed, 
and the game got stopped and never restarts, and then we lost three um, three nil in the in the ensuing chaos. Uh, so, yeah, it was pretty. It gets pretty intense, um, but that's the way you want it as a football. And then probably Norway and Finland, you know, they're I don't know, they're a little bit out of the equation. <laughs> you know what Finland going through though, it, 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 as the Scandinavian team in this tournament. Ah, no, uh, you know, again, if it's on, uh, you know, if it's on the, you know, if it's not Denmark going through, you know, if they go through as third, I'm fine. You're all right with that? (laughs) As long as Denmark goes through. Friendly rival. All right, last word, Jake, on this game. Uh, Spain, you expect them to still go through and build into the tournament or enough uh, enough concerns we might see this pattern repeat itself over the next couple of games? I think there's definitely a blueprint there. I mean, this Spain team can be frustrated. We saw that this morning, but ultimately, I mean, look at the names on the pitch. Names not on the pitch. I mean, he didn't start Tiago Alcantara. There was Fabian Ruiz. Cesar Azpilicueta didn't get on the pitch, I don't believe at all. Mm. Um, this Spain team has immense quality, and I expect to see them go fairly deep into this tournament for sure. Interesting to see. Interesting to see whether they can... Uh, the next two games would not be dissimilar. So if they can find some cohesion and, and just that, that have that luck in the final third, because I'd love to see them go deep into the tournament. Tired of ads barging into your favourite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Earlier in the night, Slovakia 2, Poland 1. I said Group E doesn't look how we expected it because, of course, at the moment, Slovakia, who Robert Lewandowski referenced afterwards, is probably the weakest team. Uh, They go through, they go at the moment top of the group thanks to that uh, three points. And with the draw in Spain v Sweden, now give themselves every opportunity to go through the next round. Um, You're across this game, Thomas, in the middle of the night. A punditry for Optus Sport was your assessment of Slovakia's triumph. They played really well. Um, I think they uh, did extremely well defensively. Um, got a lot of people around Lewandowski. He didn't get a lot of chance to turn, get a shots on target, even you know dropping the ball off uh, and being that link-up player. Uh, Srinar at the back uh, was immense. Um, obviously popped up with a yeah. winner later. Ma- man of the match, best on ground. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, popping up with a, a quality goal to to win the game. Uh, but the game swung a little bit because first half belonged to, to Slovakia. They scored a, a, a great goal, in, uh, individual bit of class from, from Mac, who goes through two players and hits it from a little bit of an angle, gets a deflection and off the post. And I think uh, Szczesny gets credited for the goal, but, you know, he, he made it. Uh, and, and then start of second half, Poland came out firing and, and got the goal back. But then second yellow card um, and, and uh, off... I won't play it down, uh, and then it was, it was up against the wall, and yeah, Slovakia got the winner. On Szczesny, though, it's actually quite interesting. He, he may be the unluckiest player in the history of the Euros. So if you go back in time, 2012, first game, red card. 2016, injured in the first game, and this time around, first goalkeeper in history to be credited with the Euros own goal. <laughs> I think stand he, up for the union now. We, we actually showed a goal Rooney scored uh, in a previous Euro where he does exactly the same. He, he strikes it, it comes off the keeper, and uh, he gets the goal. So I'm not quite sure if the rules have changed or, or if they just uh, want to pick on uh, Chesney. They just hate him. <laughs> it's a bit a, like Lindelof getting the man of the match this morning. If it's a Manchester United play, you get the you get the nod in the Euros, maybe. <laughs> yeah. Um, Poland, they have 
high expectations coming into tournaments. They were ranked in the top 10 coming into the last World Cup, Jake. Um, they will be extremely disappointed to be bottom of the group, one game in with it all to do. How do you think they will have reacted to this result? Disappointed is an understatement. Having a look at how the Polish media reacted to this loss this morning, I've seen words like travesty and catastrophe thrown around. Some people were calling the way uh, that Paolo Sousa set up for this game as like a blind date, an experiment. Uh, Sousa has actually played a different formation in so all of Poland's warm-up games. I think their last five games, different formation each game. So he's he's throwing the dice. Um, but yeah, they, they are not happy and um, they definitely need an improvement. Sousa obviously played down uh, the importance of this defeat and suggested they can bounce back. But, I mean, they got Spain next up, Thomas. So, I mean, you look at it, Slovakia, basically two chances, two goals. And you look at the way that Sweden defended against Spain and that's sort of been the blueprint. Can this Poland team really suppress a team like Spain? I think my worry is that, um, and I saw that at the 2018 World Cup as well, they're not getting the best out of uh, Lewandowski. No. They're not getting the service. And, uh, and teams are, obviously, they're figuring that out. And they're just stopping him. And then... You know, they're, they're missing Milik. Uh, he's not uh, in the squad and he's out injured. Um, I think Zielinski, he tried. Yeah. but, but he, was, he was the closest man to Lewandowski, wasn't he? Yeah, and, and he was still drifting all over the place and, and they, were, they were just lacking people to link up with him. He needs a, a, a point of difference, doesn't he? Otherwise, yeah. you just know what's going to happen with, and, and you can mark him out of the game. Yeah, and, and, and then you look at this defeat and on paper, you know, they'll be up against, against Spain. And um, potentially the, the positives will be Lewandowski will maybe have a little bit more space, but they need to get it up to him. And then Sweden, so they got the two hardest games on paper left, and uh, yeah, um, negativity and and everything else that they'll be dealt with, it's going to be tough. Yeah, they're up against it. Uh, speaking after the game, so Slovakia's coach uh, Stefan Tarkovic actually was talking about keeping Lewandowski out of the box. Is that the key to neutralizing the threat that he provides, and, and and how do you think the likes of Spain and Sweden will go about doing that? No, the the Spain game will be different because, like we saw today, they they'll try to play, you know, and and um, you know they'll be in possession. Poland will use the similar tactics, um, you know, they'll sit back, uh, I presume, and and be 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 very solid. But have they got the pace, you know, to get up and support Lewandowski? He'll be left by, by himself and will have to do a lot of work. Can they get plays, uh, crosses, you know, into the box for him? You know, I'm, I'm starting to doubt it because I've seen it too many times mm. now. And, and, and I agree with you. There's been too much chopping and changing from Sosa. They don't really seem to have a, a, a clear game plan how they're going to open teams up. It sort of seems a little bit off the cuff and, and, and has to come from somebody doing something individually and, and it's not happening. Well, they're up against it. It's coming up in this group. It's still to come. Sweden against Slovakia, 11 p.m. Friday, and then Spain against Poland, which in theory is a really big game on Sunday morning. Just quickly, the red card, two yellows, harsh, fair. They scored uh, seven minutes after that, so it was influential. Yeah, I, I, th- I thought it was harsh. harsh. Um, Krzysztofiak, I think, you know, on the first one, it, it's a player that's in a transition. He sort of runs behind him and clips his heel. Yeah, I think it, it, it could potentially lead to a goal-scoring opportunity. So, yellow card. The second one, he goes into press. He unintentionally steps a little bit on, on the Slovakian player's foot and he goes down easily. I think the the referee in that situation, especially with the line the referees have taken in this tournament, they haven't just brandished mm. yellow cards around. Could have had a little bit more feel uh, for the game and 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 seen that it wasn't intentional. It was just going into press. 
Um, and then, yeah, and then it changed the game for, for Poland because th- that was their best period of, of the game. That's an interesting point, actually. The refereeing has been very good so far. When you're not talking about them, actually, you forget about them and realise that they've actually let a lot of games flow. So that's been a really good part of it. So, yeah, interesting how that pans out there. Work to do for Poland. Work to do for Scotland as well. Earlier in the night, all the hype about the return to Hampton Park. First game in a couple of decades in a major tournament for Scotland. But it became the Patrick Schick Show. What a goal, be seriously. that one, Dave. <laughs> I have to be careful with everything I say, Jake. I've learned that over the, over the time. Before we get a bit of insight from someone who was in the Grand and Hampton Park, what a goal for you, Jake. And then Thomas, I'd love to know about the goalkeeping. It's split opinion, actually. I think it's, uh, it's pretty harsh. We want to focus on the goal, but I am interested to see if it was uh, defendable. But what a moment that is. We've had some benchmarks so far in terms of game, player, individual performance, and goal of the tournament so far. Pretty indescribable, actually. I mean, how do you even... Uh, describe words. it as the uh, the longest goal ever in Euros history. That would be accurate, Dave. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> but I mean, I think the one thing about this strike is, and why it goes down as just such an unbelievable piece of skill, is that when you watch the way that Schick hits this ball, he doesn't hit it flush on. He doesn't hit it, drive, the, drive at the goal. He sort of curves it. And there's a, there's a photo doing the rounds online, which shows the angle at which the ball was hit, which is unbelievable. It's, it looks like it's going out for a throw-in and it, and it ends up in the goals. Goalkeeping? <laughs> Yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously you can't take anything away from that strike. Um, it takes a lot of technique, a lot, a lot of awareness. Uh, and I'm sure he, either before the game, they would have seen something um, or he early in the game would have spotted that the keeper has some tendency to be high up the pitch. Um, but from the goalkeeping perspective, we have to watch an ankle from high above. He is very far out and... and he hasn't got his defense sorted. Um, they, they've switched off. Two of the the Czech players are actually by themselves. Yep. So already as a keeper there, it has to be a warning sign. You, you There you need to take precaution because you know things can happen in an instant. And the ball gets played out to one of the Czech players and then he realizes, but he's he's close to the, the D. Uh, you know, and, and you can't be that. If if he if he's got all the players marked and and they're in in good positions, you can be a little bit more aggressive. So I think that's the only criticism that he switches off as well. He is not on top of the defenders because that's your job. When the ball is down the other end, that's the only job is to make sure you're organised. And you're talking about as a we, you know I got that pelted at me rest defence. You gotta be always have an extra player. You gotta always protect against that counter attack, and that was. From, def- from the defenders and from the goalkeeper wasn't sorted and that caused um, the goal. Great insight. Is there ever a reason for a goalkeeper to be that high up the pitch in that situation? You know, the, the game has changed now. You know, there's an expectation of the goalkeeper to be, you know, you're talking about this sweeper-keeper, you know, Manuel Neuer was the first one and, and it's very effective uh, because that most teams that want to be in possession – they keep, they keep that high line. Uh, and, and can you be that player that can, you know, so it's so something you, you're taught and some managers want you to be very aggressive. We actually, when I played at Stoke, we, uh, uh, we ended up scoring a goal against Thibaut Courtois. And, and we knew before the game that he was very high up. And to Tony, uh, um, Charlie Adam actually hit a, 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 you know, from inside our own half. Uh, and, but we knew that. So that, that was all like, if you get a chance there, shoot because he's way yeah, right. Up. So there's more than improvisation and impulse in something like that yeah, sometimes. And, and actually, if you watch that clip uh, of today, 
he has a look before. So as soon as the ball is heading his direction, he looks at the keeper. Then he looks down and then he strikes it. So he's already aware because that's not a natural thing for for a striker at the halfway line yeah. to look at the goalkeeper. Yeah. So he's already aware what's happening. Brilliant, brilliant stuff. And when you talk about Jake, where is there a reason for a keeper to be so high? So you're also saying as well that it's probably a bit of responsibility on him as well to have barked out that organisational duty that, that let them down in the first place? Yeah, I would say that's the main issue is that they're not organised and that's part of the goalkeeper. You, you, you're you there, you, you've got the best view in the house you got to be on top of that because that's the only job you have in that phase of the game and um and then potentially he is a little bit too high up i don't think he needs to be so close to the halfway line but you know i've been in that situation and you can as i said if everything is in perfect order and it wasn't well i got lobbed when i was on the six yard box so i mean i know exactly <laughs> you got lobbed on the line yeah. I mean. <laughs> <laughs> it's a shame of David Marshall because he actually made some terrific saves in that game and had kept Scotland in it, um, and uh, which is a surprising thing to say given that they had a lot of chances on their own. We're going to go into Hampton Park. I caught up with the athletics journalist Jordan Campbell a little bit earlier today. We're very lucky to have the insights of the athletic from the UK throughout the Euros, some of the best football writers on the planet. This is what Jordan had to say about the experience at Hampton Park today. Well, Hamden was a, a very different place after Scotland's opening Euro 2020 game against Czech Republic, um, that's for sure. Uh, before the game, you know, the excitement of, you know, ending 23 years um, of waiting for a major tournament, you could feel that excitement and the buzz around the, the stadium. Of course, it was the first time that um, they had played in front of, the national team had played in front of a home crowd for, for over a year um, due to the pandemic. So there was just under 10,000 fans uh, in Hamden and of course they had home advantage. So um, when the, the sort of anthem of this team um, came on, Bacara, Ike and Boogie, um, the whole play sort of lifted off and it felt great to be back in a stadium um, with that sort of atmosphere. But um, and, and that did carry them into the first opening five or 10 minutes. Scotland started really well. Um, they were pressing Czech Republic really high and um, created a couple of half chances through John McGinn and you felt like Scotland had the 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 foothold in the game because I think some people worried that they would come out tentatively or would come out slow but um, no, they were really on the front foot um, but then when they never quite they, never, they struggled to convert that into chances and then slowly but surely Czech Republic put, got their foot on the ball um, and you know the game sort of went into a bit of a lull. Um, so they, you know, Scotland then sort of resorted um, to to playing long ball tactics, uh, you know, missing Kieran Tierney, who is arguably the one irreplaceable player and in, in, in the team, given that the whole formation is sort of based around fitting him and Andy Robertson into the side. So um, without him. The, the, the Cooper, Hanley and, and Jack Henry, um, there was not a lot of movement in front of them and it seemed like Steve Clark opted to play without a playmaker and was quite happy just to go along to, to London Dykes and, and play, off, uh, play off his knockdowns. But it was difficult for him because the Czech defenders were really strong in the air so um, he didn't get a lot of great service and was having to fight for a for a lot of balls. Um, I, I read somewhere that it was competed for 14 headers in the first half, which was was more than any other player in the, the, the tournament so far um, who, who had played 90 minutes. So I think he ended up with 16, but it was a difficult day for him. Um, but then you felt the game, you felt if they could get to half time, they could maybe come out and start 
quickly again, but they never defended the corner well enough. Um, the, the ball came out and Patrick Schick, um, you know, got in between Hanley and Cooper and, you know, guided a brilliant header into the far corner. Then they started the second half really quickly. Um, but again, this time they did create chances and just could not finish them. Um, and then, you know, it was a very Scottish thing to happen, but uh, your centre-back, Jack Henry, decides to try and shoot from 40 yards, loses the ball, and the opposition uh, score from the halfway line. So, um, you know, it was a freak goal, but if it was going to happen to someone, um, it would happen to Scotland, that's for sure. And what next for Steve Clark's side? What can they improve on, and uh, what do you think we'll see against England? You know, Steve Clark did go with the guys who got him there. Um, Stephen O'Donnell, um, you know, <sighs> struggled at right back, but he's been dependable, even though he's, his limitations are clear for everybody to see. But I feel like there's a growing clamour for people like Billy Gilmore, Nathan Patterson, Jay Adams to start the game on Friday and bring that youthfulness uh, and that comfort, comfort, um, comfort they've got on the ball. Because um, I think they'll need that definitely at Wembley. If, uh, if they're going to go long, keep going long to Dykes, and the ball's going to keep coming back at them, it could be a long night. So um, it's not over yet, but that was definitely the most winnable game for, for, for Scotland. So it's a real blow that they've not got off to a great start. But you never know a, a point a point at Wembley, and they could go back into the, the last game with it all to play again. So. Um, uh, yeah, I think uh, they'll need to uh, play play I can boogie a few times and maybe the optimism will come back. But yeah, Hamden was certainly feeling a bit downbeat by the end of the day. So that sets us up for England against Scotland. I cannot wait for that one at Wembley. And strangely, Czech Republic Croatia will be at Hampton Park. I, wish, I bet the Scots were wishing that was in their own backyard. But um, look... <laughs> Scotland will still have a fighting chance in this group and they can by going out, Jake, and having the game of their lives on the weekend. Well, 100%. I mean, we know with the, with the format of this tournament that it's not over till it's over and third-place teams can still go through. But, I mean, just imagine the atmosphere at Wembley next week. It's going to be absolutely unbelievable. And you think if there's any game that's going to get these Scottish players playing out of their skins, this is the one. Yeah. Cannot wait for that one. That's a massive, massive game. Probably one of the games of the tournament that we penciled when we saw the draws come out initially. So, uh, I've done it again, Jake. I almost said Friday morning, but it's not. It's still only Tuesday. It's Wednesday morning. We've got Group F, and I cannot wait for this one. It's the one everyone's been looking forward to because it's Portugal going to Budapest to pay Hungary, and then the big one, France against Germany. This is, we've got in this group, we've got the last two World Cup winners playing tomorrow, and then a bit later we've got the replay of the last Euros final. So this is manner from heaven for football fans. But what do you foresee happening, Thomas? Um, in terms of France, Germany, lot for Jürgi side to prove tomorrow. Yeah, there's question marks. And uh, I think that most of them are at the back, you know, at the front, you know, up top, they, they've got a lot of firepower. Um, a lot of good players, Nabry, obviously Havertz, you know, even Werner, Müller is back in, and then, you know, midfield, Kroos, um, Kimmich. So, you know, so they've, they've got good players, but at the back, you know, Hummels, is he at his best? Neuer has been criticised a little bit. Um, you know, Rudiger, good at it's Chelsea. A good yeah. yeah, it's a good in. Um, but, you know, they lost 6-0 to Spain, you know, a couple of months ago, and uh, it's been a little bit indifferent. It's not the sort of Germany of the past and Love is obviously heavily criticised and will leave after this tournament so it'll be interesting to see but they've still got a, a very good team yeah they've got 
honestly, Lovan has very few excuses for them to be bundled out in the group he's got, stage. He's gotten the boys back together. Yeah, he has. He has swallowed his pride, which was amazing watching the Optusport pundits' predictions before the tournament. And literally, it, I reckon 75% of you said um, Germany will go out in the group stage. So it'll be really interesting to see how that p- plays out. I can't remember if you were one of them or not, but there was a, it was a very, very popular opinion. France uh, expecting Rolls-Royce football, Jake, or... Uh, you, Deschamps seem to just make sure they always get the job done, but I feel like they got a little bit more than that in the tank this time. Oh, yeah, and they'll need it. It's going to be a big game. I mean, obviously, Deschamps, known for his pragmatism as much as anything, especially with such a galaxy of superstars at his disposal. I mean, it'd be quite interesting. I mean, so many different weapons for this France team, as well as the strength at the base of midfield with that with that Conte and Pogba sort of uh, pivot. And they've, they've actually never lost a game with the two of them in the team. So... It'd be interesting to see if that if that uh, continues at this tournament, Thomas. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and again, Deschamps is, is is very tactically astute, and and he's not afraid of you know just playing to win. You know, he, he did that during the World Cup. Uh, Belgium, he totally neutralised them. It wasn't pretty, but they won. And uh, and then you rely on the individual brilliance. Um, you know, you got obviously Griezmann, Mbappe, and whoever he plays, Benzema. Yeah, whoever he plays, uh, you know, you probably play Benzema. I would do. And then you know, we saw what Giroud did the other day coming on. Yeah, you know, he 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 can always get a goal if you need it uh, with his uh, you know with his strength. It's just got so many options, and if people are not quite on form, they've got a, a second team yep. sitting on the bench that can do the same Change job. Now, coming back to you, Thomas, because I want you to give me something a bit more than John did on the couch. Uh, hungry Portugal? Hungry anything? Chance? Something? <laughs> no, I think they've got a chance. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah no, I do. Um, you know, they're up against it. You know, it's a great Portuguese team. You know, we can mention all the players, and obviously Ronaldo, you know, Bruno Fernandes, and Diaz, and... But, um, you know, Hungary playing at home, you know, there'll, there'll be a, a, a full stadium in, in Budapest. Uh, the, you know, again, the, the rules are a bit different, so they won't have uh, 65, uh, whatever it is, Dave, uh, of home fans because the, the tickets are distributed differently. But, uh, you know, I'm sure that there's been a few on the, on the black market buying tickets <laughs> up and uh, they'll be well supported. And that's always great. You know, that's, you know, that's a big advantage. We haven't seen that advantage in, in football no. for a long time. And it's going to be interesting. I think the first game is always a bit cagey. I remember a couple of years ago, Portugal drew with Iceland in, in the first game. Um, so it could happen again. Speaking of support, I mean, Dave, you are one of the biggest Hungary fans in this country. <laughs> he's half Hungarian. <laughs> Absolutely. He's, he's getting around his heritage. <laughs> yeah. What's not to like? But Dave, obviously, uh, Dominic Shaboshlai yeah. was, was the big name heading to this tournament and he will not be there due to injury. I mean, who are we looking out for from this Hungary team? Who, uh, how are they going to get the job done? Well, the truth is it's actually probably the solidity of the team um, with Peter Galashi and Willy Orban in the heart of defence and, and in goal. But they've got like, experience and a core team going forward um, that I think they can be a plucky outfit. And I think actually... They, they've promoted in the Nations League, haven't lost in 11, played decent teams in that run. And Portugal, on paper, honestly up there with France, up there with England, up there with the most extraordinary list of players you could ever think of. But I, I am fascinated to see if they can get the combinations right with Fernando Santos, who's traditionally a pragmatist. So I think there's ever a good time, a bit like Sweden today, I think there's ever a good time to get them. It is right now. So 2am, uh, I'm, uh, I can't wait for the game. I'm going to be watching it and then we'll be coming in for the big one uh, between France and Germany. Will, will you be dusting off the Hungarian chat? 
and then bring it in. Oh, I'll see what I can find. Well, I'll see what I can find. <laughs> I, I think I, the last time I got one, I was over in Hungary when I was a kid. So it's. <laughs> I don't know. love to see that. And then once they win, he'll be rip, ripping it off and running down the street, uh, celebrating with it above his head. I think. <laughs> Go out for a langosh for lunch, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Very good. Well, guys, thanks so much for your time today. Good fun as ever. And we'll dissect both those games tomorrow in a bit more detail. And I look forward to doing that because they're the two absolute crackers. Jake, thank you very much. Back back to the keyboard. Always, mate. Always plugging away on the keys. Back for the churn. Thomas, great to see you. Thanks again. And we'll see you tomorrow. See you tomorrow. Good stuff. And everyone out there as ever. Thanks for your company on the Gagapod. Hope you're enjoying your daily audio dose from the Euros. And remember as well, if you want a little hit in the morning, James Lawrence, 7.30am, we'll have your headline first thing. And then you get the full the full analysis a little bit later on in the day. So as ever, until the next episode of the Gagapod, enjoy your football. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.